0: let's turn together now to 1 Peter, and now we cross into chapter 2. We're in our series, Thriving in Exile, and today we're going to talk about growing up in Christ. Well, we have a sweet season in our family right now. We have back for a little time, Evan and Hillary and their children, our grandchildren in the house, ages 5 and 4. So one of the sweet things I get to do in these days is to wake up and have breakfast with my grandchildren and I just like the things that they do. I like how they act at those ages. One of the things I, I like is the simple thing of them renaming cereals. Now, part of the problem is we buy generics in our house. And so they may not know the real names, but, but I do like this. They have a cereal they call rectangle cereal. And this will make sense. It's the bite-sized, frosted, shredded wheat. And that's rectangle cereal. We know what they mean. They have another one, though, they call tiger cereal. And I suppose sometime in their lives, they actually had Frosted Flakes with Tony the Tiger. So now anything that looks like that is tiger cereal. Right now, that's, that's Honey Bunches of Oats or whatever Aldi calls their version of that. So that's, that's tiger cereal. And then they have monster cereal. And you would guess this one, right? Uh, this is Golden Grams. Now it's actually honeygrams from Aldi, but they have a monster activity on the back of the box and that's now monster cereal. So I love those little things that they do it adds a little variety to life, but I also love their emotional range of a preschooler. So there are some things that would excite them. I get to observe that they just wouldn't have it excited me. I mean, deep down belly laughter over something like that's pretty basic. But I love that. And then at the other end of the pendulum, they can be sobbing over something that also I would have estimated as quite small. But I like it. It's, It's age appropriate. It's cute. It's endearing. And we love this season of life. We wouldn't try to hurry it along. But at the same time, we wouldn't want them to freeze in this condition, would we? Everybody in their lives is gonna want them that over time to start delighting in different things that delight them right now. Over time, we would expect that they're going to mature and they're actually going to cry about different things than the things that make them cry right now. And over time, we pray that they'll be dedicated to different things that they're dedicated to right now as four and five-year-olds. So we're gonna expect some marks of maturity along the way. And likewise, as the children of God, God expects us to grow up in our faith. So wherever you are in your spiritual walk, wherever you are in your development, the Lord does not expect you to stay right there. In fact, I think it's impossible, right? You're either moving forward with Christ or you actually are going backwards. There's really no holding steady. And so let's take to heart the words we're gonna hear now from 1 Peter chapter two. Just three verses we're gonna lock in on. Let's hear them now. First Peter two, verses one through three. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy, And envy and all slander like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it, here it is, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Peter here begins this section with the word so or the word therefore. And he's signaling to us that I'm building on everything that I've told you up to this point in this letter. So, so because you have been born again, here's what I have to say. Continuing that because you have been called to be holy, like our father is holy. Here are some things that I need to tell you because you have been called to love each other sincerely and fervently from the heart. Because of that, here's some things I need to tell you. And the first thing he tells them and now, and now us, is there are some things that we need to put away if you've been born again, called to be holy, called to love each other, there are some things that are totally incompatible with that life. And rightly we should put them away. So what does Peter say we should put away? Verse one. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. When you pause and look at those words, you think that is a terrible list of sins. But if we think about our practice, these are often the sins that we excuse in ourselves. One by one, we say that's not that big of a deal. Now, rightly, we're horrified by some sins. We hear about adultery. We should be horrified by that and the devastation that brings to people spiritually and in their families or murder. We rightly would just recoil from the whole idea of murder. That's incompatible with my Christian walk. I can't be a part of that. Things like robbery, there's no place in that for that in a Christian's life. And we might excuse these, but Peter says, Yeah, of course, put away those things that immediately come to mind. But here are five sins that have no place in the hearts of those who have been called to be holy, called to love each other in a body of Christ. So the first thing he says to put away is all malice. What's malice? This word in the original language means a feeling of hostility, a feeling of strong dislike with the possible implication of desiring to do harm. The English word malice is defined this way, <clears throat> to cause, to desire to cause pain or the satisfaction for doing harm or some synonyms of this word malice in English. Words like hatefulness or malevolence or maliciousness, meanness, spite, viciousness. And you hear those words that, yeah, I cannot imagine how hatred could be compatible with this calling to holiness and this calling to love my brothers and sisters Where would that fit in this life? And so there is no room for hatred in our lives as believers in Jesus Christ. In fact, as you look at your vocabulary and the way you speak in a given week, that word hate probably shouldn't even come up at all in a given week. Certainly not toward another human being. I can't think of a valid place where I would use the word hate in regard to another person. We start moving into the realm of malice there, but some people do. Maybe you're one who speaks that way. I hate that teacher. I hate my boss. I hate that coworker. And maybe you even desire them harm. Maybe you wouldn't actually strike the blow, but you inside would feel a sense of glee. Like, yeah, I really want something bad to happen to them. It's an awkward moment. It happens rarely. But when I'm talking to somebody and they're telling me what makes them livid. And when somebody says, yeah, I I would just like to wring their neck. I never hear that at home, by the way. It's just shocking. Like, I, I want to ring their name. I mean, that's a murderous thought. And, and even I'm comforted thinking, I don't think they really mean that. But that's malice. I mean, I, I, would, I would like to destroy them. I would like them not to be on the earth. Peter says, as the spirit of God guides him to right, you have to put that away. Totally incompatible with holiness. Totally incompatible with how we're called to love one another. Here's something else to put away. All deceit. All deceit. We know what that is. And it should be quickly readily evident to us that dishonesty and deception also has no place in our lives as believers individually and how we relate to one another. Our God is the God of truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. It's Satan who is the the deceiver. It's Satan who is the father of lies. We used to be those who would try to deceive other people. That's the old life. We've left that behind. We've now come to Christ, a brand new calling. So put away all deceit. Falsehood has no place in our relationships with each other. Now there might be other sins that will more quickly destroy a relationship, but you certainly can't sustain and build a relationship when it's built on people deceiving others one another. We know this in marriage. One of the key ingredients to a good marriage is the idea of honesty and openness. Gotta, gotta be there. Can you imagine trying to build a marriage when you can't trust a thing coming out of the other person's mouth? I mean, if they, they, if they lie to you 10% of the time, I don't know if this is that 10% or not. It's just not going to be for a good marriage. You can't have security in that relationship. And likewise, as we apply this, as Peter's intending into our fellowship together, deceit just cannot be there. Our fellowship depends on honesty with one another. Can you imagine if we were trying to deceive each other here? So we cannot be those who are trying to dupe each other or hide things from each other. We should not lie to each other to try to impress each other. We certainly should not lie to try to manipulate one another, try to get something we want. Nor should we lie to try to cover up embarrassing flaws in our lives to try to give an impression that we're better, stronger than we actually are. We must be honest. So let me ask you, are you a truthful person or have you grown accustomed? Well, no, I mean, I don't, I don't let people know the real me. I kind of keep up a facade here about the real me. And I'm trying to actually deceive people into thinking I'm something that I'm not. Peter says, put away deceit. Then he says this one, and we have to hear this one. He says, put away next hypocrisy, hypocrisy. And isn't that just another type of deceit? And that certainly has no place in us. In fact, this might be the most repulsive sin of them all. Even our lost neighbors hate hypocrisy, right? That's the world. We, we hate hypocrisy. And, uh, and we hate it too. Because our Savior hated hypocrisy. His strongest words in the scripture were often leveled at those Pharisees that he called a brood of vipers hypocrites. Remember that occasion where Jesus said, you guys are like whitewashed tombs. You're outwardly pretty, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. You, you have this, you have this appearance like you're righteous and pious. It's just not true. The true you, Jesus can see, and he was repulsed by it. So let's get very practical. This is so critical to the health of any church. It's just critical to your spiritual health. Let's just ask some blunt questions of ourselves here. First of all, are you a hypocrite? Is your Christian life a sham? Are you a spiritual faker? Then maybe you're in this room, this is the right place to be, and you look like a worshiper here, but inside not a worshiper, don't want to be a worshiper, don't really want to be here, and never want to be here. It's not just a bad Sunday. Just don't want to be here. Then it's just a show, maybe to impress somebody. Or do you wear a church mask? Not talking about the COVID masks. But do you wear a mask? There's, there's You kind of suit up on the drive-in, you know, angry, ungodly, angry, ungodly. This is just you. But hold on. I'm almost there. Let's put on the church mask. I'm going to wear that for a little while, and then I'm going to go home. I have no intention to pick that up. That whole life is just a Sunday thing that I do. How about a very practical question? Do you have two different social media presentations going on? You've got a public persona online with certain accounts where you want your employer to see that one. You want your extended family to see that one. But then you've got a private set of accounts where really that's the real you, where you use a total different vocabulary. You are, you are enamored by very different things here, what the Bible would call ungodly things, and you're managing that. Can I tell you very bluntly, you are a hypocrite if that's you. You're, you're leading a double life with the goal of impressing, deceiving other people. There's no place for that in the heart of a Christian. How about this? Do you have a different vocabulary that you use at school or at work? And so there's a way you talk, things you joke about, what you're you're known for there. And then you come on Sunday and you use a very different vocabulary. Whoop, I gotta button it up. Hope I don't use some of those words accidentally here. You're a hypocrite. You're trying to manage two lives. You're faking something here that's not really true of you. And Peter says, as the spirit inspires him, you got to put that away. Now, let's talk about this. A hypocrite is different than a sincere Christian who stumbles and falls. Any Christian, every Christian sometimes stumbles and falls. We we foolishly choose to sin, even though we know better as Christians. But, But the reaction to that sin is very different in the genuine Christian and the hypocrite. The genuine Christian who has been born again, now has a new nature through Christ, has foolishly sinned. We feel immediate remorse when we sin as a believer. And, and the Holy Spirit gives what I call crushing conviction. So the moment you say that or think that or do that, Holy Spirit, who's in you, is no. And, and you, you're just forced to repent because He won't let you get away. You can't stay in sin because you're miserable in that. But the hypocrite's very different, a very different The hypocrite is, I did it and I'm not sorry. My only goal is nobody needs to know about this. I'm just going to keep going with this because I like it. This is who I want to be. I just have a show that I do for others. We have to put away hypocrisy. Chuck Lawless did make the connection this week about the COVID mask and this mask of hypocrisy here with those vaccinated. You know, We can take off the mask and it's so refreshing. It is so nice. But he said, listen, while you're at it, why don't you think about that other mask? that one that you might wear. And in fact, he talked about what a burden to try to manage a mask of hypocrisy. You know, we're called to sincerity. There's no joy like being all in with Jesus, flawed as we all are, right? And Lord, I just, I just want to have a pure heart for you. That's freeing. Got nothing to hide behind the scenes. That's, that's a joy. Don't miss it on that. How tiresome to try to keep up some hidden area of your life, hoping nobody's gonna know. Today's the day to leave that. Should have been gone before, but... Aren't you glad our God's a God of grace? Today could be the day's like I'm no longer wanting to live a double life, single life, single devotion to Jesus Christ. So if the Lord has put his hand on your life right now showing you that you've been living a hypocritical double life, a couple of action steps you have to take. Those you've been a hypocrite with, you need to confess to them that you've been wrong. So you've had your church persona, we we've been none the wiser, but you have a pack of people you've been hanging around with, they know, they know you. They know the way you talk. They know what you're really like. And they know you come on Sundays and do this act. You need to go to those friends and say, hey, I've been wrong. I've been living a double life. I've I've been leading you to believe that Jesus is worth nothing to me. And that's how I've been living. But I've repented of that. And you guys need to know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for leading you astray. You need to come clean to them. They've already been seeing it. It's disgusting to them too. But maybe the next move you need to make is to maybe go to somebody in your life group or your life group leader Or one of the pastors, if you're not yet in a life group and say, I just need to come clean. I've been living a double life and no more. Would you, would you pray for me? Would you help me walk this walk? Aren't you glad for the grace of God? He can make you new. You've got to put that aside, but also let's put away envy. Peter says, put away envy. You know what envy is. That's when you're jealous. That's when you feel a sense of pain in you. When you see something good happening to somebody else. When you're envious, you're thinking that should have been happening to me. And I'm, I'm upset that that's happening over to them. We live in a time of social media where we can see what's happening in others' lives. At least the parts we put forward. And we usually put forward the blessings. And you might see the blessings of somebody else in the church. And you think, man, I wanted that thing that they have. I I would like to have their success. You're not happy with their success. You're, you're now resenting them for that success that they're putting out there or I wish my relationships were like their relationships, or I wish I looked like they look. It could even be so devious that we can be envious of other people's ministries. I want God to use me like he's using them. Why won't God do that in my life? And we can't do what the Bible says. The Bible says we're to rejoice with those who rejoice. And yet we can be envious as a part of our sin nature. We got to fight that in us. I love John the Baptist as an example of not being envious. Remember that time in his ministry when his disciples started following after Jesus? And people were like, hey, John the Baptist, what do you think about this? And he said, I must decrease. He must increase. Don't you love that? No ego involved in that. He understood. This is my mission. I was to be a forerunner, prepare the way for the Messiah. My role is now concluding. and It's right that they would follow Jesus instead of me. Oh, we want to be like that. When we first came back from overseas, we came back into a missionary and residence type of role with the IMB. And that meant we lived in an IMB house and had an IMB car. That's nice. But we were paid like missionaries based here, not a staff member, missionary and residence money. So needs were met, but tight is how it was for us. And they placed us in the far west end of Henrico. And so we were keenly aware every day that We didn't have the stuff that all the people who are actually homeowners around us that they had. It was just very apparent to us that we're kind of squeaking by every month, not like what we thought the neighbors were experiencing. Add to that, that part of my role was to go out to ILC, uh, maybe once a week or several times a month anyway, to do some training and debriefing people and things like that. And I would go through, remember when that area heading out Hanover County was just starting to develop and these, these mini mansions were going up, maybe actual mansions, I don't know, I didn't. I wasn't worthy to drive down the streets to see. And just the opulence of that. Now, again, I did not want those homes. I, I knew what God called me to do. That's not, it's not what I'm supposed to have. No envy there, but just the awareness that I could use a little more income right now. And there's a lot of wealth going on over here. Here's what I did to guard my heart driving through there multiple times a month. Here's what I would pray. I'd say, Lord, give them more. Give them more. Because what I was trying to say to myself is they didn't take it from me. It's okay that they have double what they have. That's not, that's not costing me anything. My, my heart should be, Lord, I'm going to work and do what you've called me to do. I'm going to trust in you for my daily bread. You're going to meet our needs. So Lord, it's fine with me. I'm not, I'm not going to be jealous of them. Double it, triple it, give them anything they want. It has no, it has no bearing on my life. Boy, was a, it was a good antidote for me. I'll tell you what the chief antidote is for envy. It is contentment. Biblical contentment. And if this is a present struggle in your life, Philippians 4 is where maybe this week you should dwell. Remember in Ephesians 4, that context of contentment. Paul said, I know how to get along in humble circumstances. I know how to get along with a lot. And he says this, he goes on to say, here's the secret. I've learned the secret of being content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Great verse. You can apply it a lot of places, but its context is that whole realm of contentment. What an antidote for this sin of envy that we must put away. But here's another thing to put away, all slander, all slander. Remember, we're called to holiness. We're called to love each other earnestly from the heart and slander can't fit in there. What a shame if in a church we're known for backbiting, we're gossiping about each other, tearing each other down. That's not what we're here for. God gave us tongues to build each other up in the church. Our tongues, our mouths are for evangelism, to share this good news with others and to make disciples. And so here are these five sins that would clearly interfere with us walking with Christ as we ought and loving each other as we should, how can we do these five things and have a sincere brotherly love? How can we do these five things and love each other earnestly? These have to go. So he tells us five things to put away. Now tells you one thing to long for. You're to long for one thing. Verse two, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk. Now Peter's not calling these Christians to whom he's writing Babies. He's not saying you're just all new Christians. He's not doing that. Some of them could have been Christians for quite a long time. Some of them could have been Christians even for decades at that point. But he is saying you need to long for something like a newborn baby longs for something. And the context here lets us know very clearly that he's talking about the Word of God. When he speaks of milk, he talks about the Word of God. The New American Standard Bible translates it this way Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the Word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. So he has just told us, remember back in chapter one, verses 23 through 25, he's so clearly been talking about the word of God. Now he gives us analogy of milk. Hear it with me. Verse 23 of chapter one, since you have been born again, not with perishable seed, but with imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory, like the flower of grass, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So this word, he, he likens to milk. So we were saved by that word. That's his context. We were saved by the word of God. And now as Christians, we are to grow by that very same word. And I love it here. He says, you're to long for it. Like an infant longs for milk. What a great analogy. If you ever had a baby in your house, a newborn baby, do they not long for milk? They don't care what time of day it is or more more likely what time of night it is. They are gonna let you know it's time and it's past time for milk. I remember years ago with one of our babies in the house, uh, I woke up one morning refreshed and I said to Joy, wow, that was nice. Baby didn't wake us up at all. She said, she didn't wake you up. I was up three times last night with the baby. I guess I'd gotten used to the screaming. But Joy, Joy being a good mom, I did her job. But these babies long for it. And, and here's what Peter says. You, you need to be like that about the Bible, about the, the scriptures. You, you have to be. You were saved through the gospel that you received through the Bible, through the scriptures. And now you need to continue to grow in that. And so this has been my testimony. You've heard it many times, but reading the Bible in my bedroom because of my brother's example, saved through the scriptures. And then how have I grown these years? It's every day knowing I need God. I need him in the scriptures. And that's just been the way I was saved and now how I grow. So what do you do though if you don't long for the scriptures? Well, I remember talking to a new Christian some time ago and I said, hey, like I nag you all the time about this. I said, hey, are you reading the Bible daily? His, his response was curious. He says, no, I've already finished the Bible. That's odd. As I had to explain to him, no, it's not like a novel. You don't read it once and stick it on a shelf. This is God's word. This is life. This is nourishment. You need it every day. This is God's guidance. This is how God is speaking to you. I'm happy to report he got right back into reading the Bible. But what do you do if you think, oh, I know the Bible's great, but I don't ever want to read it. Well, well, first thing, you got to check some things if that's true of you. I mean, obviously, of course, you got to check. If you never have an appetite for Bible, never had, and it's just a foreign concept, ask, am I born again? If I don't have a hunger for God's word, what's wrong with me? Or maybe you are born again, but you've allowed yourself to be distracted with other things. If we go back to the analogy of milk, maybe you've been spoiling your appetite on so many other things you've been jamming into your mind, and, and you've ruined your appetite for what you really need, obviously... Some repentance there is needed. But maybe you're like the rest of us, that there's that moment in the morning when it's time to read the Bible where your flesh just doesn't want to do it. And so I I have that most mornings when it comes that time to be still in the presence of God. If I'm drinking my coffee, I've been reading some news on the news app or catching up on some sports scores. All right, now it's time to meet with the Lord. My flesh sometimes was like, "Eh, it would be easier to read another story. There's probably another sports highlight here. But here's what I've learned, that, that action is the best thing to do in that, that feelings often follow right action. And so I've learned this, I, I need God, I know the delight comes when I get in the Bible. I'm not gonna wait for the feeling to strike me to go read it, let's get in there. And every time I get into scriptures and it's like, ah, oh, there it is. Now I'm so glad, because there's nothing else like this. The news is annoying, the sports is annoying, all that, but the Bible always, always refreshing. And so we move first and the delight comes. Maybe it's a bit like when we're trying to get children to try a new food. You ever tried that with a little child? And, and you're saying, hey, try this. I don't like it. You don't know if you don't like it, right? You've had this conversation. Like this is fried okra. I don't like it. Are you even related to me? How can you not like fried okra? What's wrong with you? You, know? you say it gentler than that. Or maybe it's a new flavor of ice cream. I don't like it. Oh, I'm pretty sure you would like this one if you would just try. That's us with the scriptures, right? Like you say, I don't know if I want to do that. You, you need to taste and see. You need to get into the word of God. When your flesh says no, you, you have to overcome your flesh. Understand, remind yourself, this is the greatest treasure I possess, is the Bible, God's word. God, at great expense, great effort, inspired and preserved the Bible. And you have multiple copies. This is the greatest treasure, be in the Bible. It's essential to you. Let God speak to you through the word of God. So we're to put away all sin. We're to long for and consume God's word so that we might grow up. That by it, you may grow up into salvation. Ephesians four fifteen speaks the same way. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ or 2 Peter three eighteen, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are to grow into salvation. That doesn't mean we grow to become Christians. That's instantaneous when you repent and believe in Jesus, what he did for you on the cross. But then we grow up into it. We, we grow up in Christ over the years. So when you were saved... What a glorious experience that was when you had that relief. Oh, he has washed all my sins away. I'm not going to be condemned for these sins. I will never go to hell because my faith is in Jesus. Jesus took my condemnation. I am free forever because of Jesus. What a relief. But you had no idea as great as that moment was in those early days, you had no idea. Oh, it can get even sweeter than that. I mean, heaven's coming and that's the ultimate, that's going to be a more amazing than we can imagine. But every day getting to know this loving God better and better, it's going to get sweeter even from that wonderful beginning in Christ. And so we want to grow up into the salvation that we have received. What's that going to look like? We're going to grow in our knowledge of God. We're going to, we're going to know him personally. We're going to know him scripturally, so it's not just ideas we're imposing on God. This is what God has revealed about himself. So we're going to grow in our knowledge of God. We're going to grow in faithfulness to him. We're going to grow in our usefulness to him. We're going to grow in our love for him. And we're going to grow in our sincere love for each other, like Peter's been calling us to do. It's fun to watch people grow in the Lord. It's fun to grow in the Lord. So over the last several years, I've been a part of a Tuesday night life group. And it's just been a privilege to have a front row seat to watch men and women just, I think, quite rapidly grow in the Lord. And because getting in the word and that love for each other and that accountability kind of built into a life group like that, it's just been beautiful to see, to see these things, a, a greater knowledge of God and how to handle the word and how to be faithful to God and how to serve others in the body of Christ. It's just been beautiful. And so let me ask you, are you growing like that? Listen, the context of First Peter We're exiles on this earth, it's not easy. Pressure coming inbound every day to get you to conform to the ungodliness of our age. Only the strong are gonna thrive. Only the strong are gonna survive during what what we're experiencing and what's coming. And so you want to be strong in the Lord. And there's no substitute for building spiritual strength than being in the word of God that we're told here we're to long for. Now, people try other things. Now, I'm not going to do the Bible. It's still not my thing. I'm going to do it some other way. And so our charismatic friends, they'll try to do it through emotions. I'm going to grow in Christ by my emotions. And if I go to enough services where enough, I want to say strange things happen, uh, then I'm going to really grow that. Or maybe if somebody at that meeting, who calls himself a prophet, give me a word, then I'm going to grow. Listen, we have the word of God better than any of that. When we open the Bible, I know this is God's word. I can build my life on this. The church has been growing through the word of God for 2000 years. I'm not chasing a feeling, another feeling, another feeling. I have the very word of God. Some people try it through Christian radio. I don't read the Bible, but I listen to Christian radio. Can I tell you, Um, that's great. I mean, at least it gives you a chance to focus on rather things of the world. You've got music pointing you Christ word, that's very good. But if you're counting on that to grow spiritual muscle, not going to happen. Certainly if you're thinking about those little devotional thoughts, the DJs get between songs, those are more likely to annoy you than to grow you. I'm usually like, just play another song, please. <laughs> it's not going to grow. There's, there's meat in the Bible. That's what you're intended to take in. And you're going to grow through that. So, so let me just remind you again, Set the time to be with God every day in his word. Did you saw it? We're commanded to long for it. Be be there in the presence of God. Have a plan. Maybe this will be your plan. I'm just gonna hang out in the New Testament for the foreseeable future. I'm gonna get to the Old Testament soon. If you're new to the Bible, let me just hang out in the New Testament and read systematically. Start a book of the Bible like John or like Mark and just start chapter one today with a highlighter, with a pen. Mark keywords, things God's showing you. Tomorrow, chapter two. Next day, chapter three. You can do more if you want to, but just have a plan systematically because your goal is I want to meet with God. I need to long for this and I'm going to develop an appetite for this as I meet with God. Read for relationship, read to respond, enjoy the presence of the Lord. That's what you're going for. Why? He gives you another reason because the Lord is good. The Lord is good. See it with me. Verse three. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. Wayne Grudem makes it very good explanation of the connection between longing for the scriptures like we should and also God being good. Listen to what he says. He says, to read or listen to scripture is to hear the Lord speak, to take his good and nourishing words into our hearts. To drink the milk of the word is to taste again and again what he's like. For in the hearing of the Lord's words, believers experience the joy of personal fellowship with the Lord himself. Moreover, those words give direction into his good paths for life and gives promises of his continued goodness in the time of need. So have you tasted that the Lord is good? Do you know him? Have you experienced him? You say there are a lot of good things in life and there are family and friends, sweet church family like this, mountains and beaches and sunsets, a lot of good things. But all these things have come from a good Good God. And there's no one like our God. Have you tasted that He's good? He's the one who made you in great love and mercy. He's the one that's offered to save your eternal soul. He's the one that's prepared a place for you in heaven with Him. There's nobody like Him. So draw near to Him, putting away all sin out of your life. Repent of that. Draw near to Him. Ask Him to create a longing in you for His Word that you would spend time with Him and grow up in Him as we've been called to do. But it all begins with being saved. Peter can say to Christians, grow up into your salvation, but it starts with salvation. So today, would you be saved if you've not trusted in Jesus yet? I pray that today the Holy Spirit is drawing you, that you're recognizing your sin today for the first time, some of you, and you're ready to renounce that sin that you might have Jesus instead. Jesus who lived a perfect life, who died on a cross for your sins was raised from the dead, that you might lay down everything else and put all of your hope, all of your trust in Jesus. Let me give you a moment to call on Jesus to be saved.